is our text this morning. Thank you for being here. God bless you. I always hope that people will receive a blessing by being at church on Sunday morning because life is tough. Battles are common. Storms come in your life. And sometimes you're on the mountaintop, sometimes you're in the valley, and when you come to church, I hope you can, if you're in the valley, you can find your way out because of the singing, the Word of God, and fellowship with other believers. We, we need each other. We need each other. And mostly we need God and His Word and His Holy Spirit to secure us. Second Samuel kind of addresses that issue. In 2 Samuel 23, in verse number 8, will be our reading, and our passage will be rather short this morning because it's a power-packed two verses. I want to preach on this subject this morning, leaning into battle. Leaning into the battle. In verse number 8, now we're going to have... Verses 9 and 10, I think, on the screen, but I've punched in verse 8 for my own reading. Verse 8 says, These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino, the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Now pay attention closely to verses 9 and 10. We're talking about David's mighty men. And then we're going to single one out right here and focus on him this morning. Verse 9. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David. And this Eleazar was in the top three. There's a, there's a greater number of mighty men that the Bible mentions the inner circle of three. Jesus had three in his inner circle in the 12 disciples. He had three that were always really close. And Eleazar here is one of the three that's mentioned by the scripture that are David's mighty men. And it says, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there, gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. He rose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil. Let's pray together. Father, we sure do love you today. Thank you for the word of God which gives us guidance. Thank you for the Holy Spirit of God that can take this precious word and anchor it in our hearts so that we're able to stand in the day of battle and not only to stand but to even lean into it. Lord, please bless us this day. Help, help those who are struggling. Help those who need answers. Help those, Lord, who don't know you as Savior. Bring them to the place today, we pray, that they would understand how much you love them and how much you want to save their soul and give them a home in heaven. Bless this hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to be an encouragement to you this morning. I always do. And there are battles in life. We said that, but we can come out victorious instead of becoming 
a spiritual casualty. The first game of the college football season for the Razorbacks opened yesterday. So you always learn something spiritual at church, right? We're going to talk about the Razorbacks. Just briefly. As they got to, as the Hogs got to the goal line, the ball was in the hand of one man who tried to run it across the goal to score. He was leaning towards the goal line, but he was brought down by the defensive line one foot short of the scoring. But the Hogs didn't give up. <laughs> they, uh, they ran another play, and the man had the ball in his hand, and again he leaned into that crowd of opponents coming at him, but he leaned as strong as he could lean and fell. But this time, he fell one foot across the goal line, and there was a victory. Now, life is a lot like that way, too. There are opponents that come at us, and there are battles to fight, and we can lean against that battle, and sometimes we don't quite make it, but never, ever think that the next time you won't, because you just might, and if not that time, maybe the next time, but there's never a time to give in or give up or lean back. Lean forward into the battle. Life is that way. Sean Druitt, who sung here a number of times, gospel singer, <clears throat> maybe he usually calls me uh, in the fall of the year if he's got an opening, and, and he may come again this year. I haven't talked to him yet. But Sean Druitt, when he was a little boy, I had just gotten saved, and his dad, Tommy Druitt, and his wife, and, and he had a brother and a sister that was traveling with them, singing in churches, and when they would sing, I'd just been saved. Man, I was on fire for the Lord, and every, every song touched my heart. Every message stirred me up. And man, I'm, I'm just wanting to lean into the battle. And uh, they had a song that would feature the kids in the song. And I remember little Sean, who is now probably close to 60 years old, uh, but he would, he would be kind of featured, and all the eyes were on him because everybody loves to see little kids sing, right? And so he's singing, and they had this song that they sang about David slaying, uh, slaying Goliath. And I think the chorus went something like this. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. When I fall down, I'm going to try to get up because I didn't come out to play. It's a battlefield, brother, not a re recreation room. It's a fight, not a game. So run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. I like that little song. <laughs> And I haven't heard it in years. I wish somebody would sing it. Somebody that knows that. I wish you'd sing it for us sometime. I'd like to hear it again because it's been a lot of years, 40 years, I guess, since I've heard it. And that song kind of gives to us the attitude that Eleazar in our text had when he stood in the field of lentils, stood against the Philistines. I mean, a huge army. He's standing there. And he's ready to fight. And instead of running like the rest of the men of Israel did, he stood his ground. He stayed in the pea patch. And he stayed until the last man fell. He leaned into the battle. And friend, if we're going to win spiritual victories in our life, we have to lean into the battle instead of leaning away from it. Understand now, when we go through this today... I don't want you to get the idea that 
We're challenging people to get into physical fights. We're not challenging people to defend yourself against everything that somebody might say that might offend you. We're not asking you to get into arguments and be aggressive. That's not what we're saying. That's not what's being taught here. We're not saying that we ought to walk around in life having a chip on our shoulder. I see a lot of that too, don't you? Our battles are usually not with other people. Our battles most often is the one you see in the mirror in the morning. Once in a while, and he gets blamed way too often, I think, the devil may oppose us. But most often, it's the guy who's right here, the one you see in the mirror. Let me make that clear from Scripture. In Romans 7, 14, the fact that that we battle against ourselves so many times. We may blame others and we may think our battle is against some other brother or sister or against a family member or against a friend or even somebody on the other side of the political aisle. But our enemy is usually ourself. And here's what it says in Romans 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For... What I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That's speaking to you and me. (laughs) No good thing in the flesh. For to will is present with me, but how to to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Do you get what the Apostle Paul is saying? He's saying, man, I know what I ought to do, and this is what I intend to do. That's what I know is good to do. But so many times I find myself doing exactly the opposite. Do you identify with that? You say... Man, that's not what I meant to do. I'm so ashamed of myself. The the battle is a spiritual battle. We see in Ephesians 6.10, Paul also says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. See, he's talking about spiritual battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. What's he saying? In one place he says, we have a battle going on within us because our flesh is trying to lead us away from that which we ought to do and which we actually want to do. The flesh leads us away. And occasionally the devil will show up and he'll catch us in a weak moment and he will attack. And so we have a spiritual battle going on. That's between us and our own flesh and it's between us and the devil. But there's a battle going on. See, it's not with other people mostly. If you win major victories... In those two battles, 
If you win victories in those two major battles, you'll find your battles against your friends to be far and few and far between. Look at this passage with me today. These, especially these two verses, 9 and 10. And let's see what Eleazar did in winning this great victory. Number one, what did he do? He was remaining instead of retreating. He was remaining instead of retreating. He's out here in the middle of this field of lentils and the Philistines are there and they're staring him in the face. His own comrades go back and he's standing there alone to face the enemy. He stood his ground. He remained instead of retreating. And when we face our battles, we will never win if we're retreating. It says in verse number 9, they defied the Philistines. They defied them. You know, what he, you know what he did? He stood there and put his hands on his hips and said, bring it on, guys. <laughs> Come on. We used to do that in, in grade school when we'd get all huffy and thinking we're tough. We'd challenge one another to fight in grade school. And one boy would say something smart to us like, I'll knock your block off. And we'd say, bring it on, buddy. Just bring it on. Now, every time I ever did that, I wanted to be the winner, but more often I got my nose bloodied. (laughs) But in spiritual battles, it's another way around. We have to lean into the battle. And Eleazar said to the other guy, run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. Spiritual battles are going to hit me. The devil may attack me, but I'm standing my ground. I'm staying in the pea patch, leaning into the battle. I'm sure that Eleazar looked around and he said, man, the odds are not good, but I'm standing anyway. I ain't running. A friend of mine used to say, I'll walk a mile around a battle, but I'll never run from one. Well, that's the way this guy was. He wasn't going to run. Years ago, I preached a message out of this passage, a long time ago. I don't know if it's even recorded, probably not even on our website, called Stay in the Pea Patch. Stay in the pea patch. You know why? A lot of Christians, look, a lot of Christians backslide. A lot of Christians quit serving God. A lot of Christians drop out of church. There's Christians who do not continue on in their walk with God and it's because they didn't stay in the pea patch. Put your hands on your hips and say, run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. I'm living for God. The lentils in our King James Bible indicates a being like Grain. Some of you have eaten lentils. Anybody eaten lentils? Lentils before a little flat, look like green pea that's flat. I like the things. Most people don't care for them, but I think they're good. Well, that's what was here. The idea is this: stand your ground and don't run from the pea patch. I told a story when I was preaching once years ago about how. Jimmy Bobbitt, we were probably in the fifth grade or something. And Jimmy Bobbitt was, this kid was my friend. He was stocky, built. I was a scrawny kid. And we were friends. We played together in grade school. But he, <clears throat> he was bigger than me. And so he got to the point where he, he knew he was stronger. So he just, he'd grab me by the arm, twist my arm around behind my back. And he'd march me around like one of his captives. And that went on for a couple of days. And 
I told my brother at home, my older brother, I said, what can I do? Old Jimmy's getting me by, by the arm, twisting my arm behind my back, and he's marching me around, makes a fool out of me. He said, I said, what, what can I do to stop this? He said, punch him in the nose. I said, he's bigger than I am. He said, usually bullies are not very brave when it comes right down to it. He said, if you'll bloody his nose for he knows what's going on, he'll leave you alone. I said, well, I don't know. He said, if you don't, I'm going to bloody your nose. Well, I figured I'm going to get my nose bloodied either way. Might as well do it with Jimmy. <laughs> so I went to school the next day, and old Jimmy came up and started grabbing my arm, twisted behind my back, and I turned around, and as luck would have it, I smacked him right on the nose. And his nose started bleeding. He started crying. He said, Brooks, I can't believe you did that to me. Why would you do that? I said, you're not going to boss me around anymore, Jimmy. <laughs> and from that day forward, we played together and never had any more fights, and he was not my captor anymore. Now, when I told that story in a sermon one Sunday, we had a little boy in the church back in those years, a long time ago. He's not here now. Uh, this little boy went to school the next day, and the next time I saw him, on, I think it was on Wednesday night, he said, Preacher, I did what you told me to do in your sermon. I said, what did you do? He said, I went to school and punched this boy in the nose. I said, that's not what I was trying to get at. <laughs> you know, our battle is not with other people. Our battle, I, di- I didn't mean for him to take it literal that you go to try to go to fisticuffs with other people. But we do have spiritual battles. You'll have enough battles to win against your attempt to be Christ-like without punching other people in the nose. Eleazar was anchored. Man, he was anchored and he refused to budge. He leaned toward the battle instead of shrinking from it. Let me ask you this question. You've got spiritual battles in your life, emotional battles, all kinds of battles you face. Do you run? Do you ignore them? Do you think they'll disappear because you hide your head in the sand? Or do you lean into the problems? Let me show you a second thing we learned from Eleazar. There was determination instead of depression. It says, notice with me again, in verse number 9, it says, And they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle. Now watch this. And the men of Israel were gone away. Here's old Eleazar. He's, he's standing there ready to do battle. And it looks on this side and those guys are gone. He looks over this way and those guys are gone. That could have been a depressing time for him. He could have said, man, I ain't got no help. Sometimes people will leave you and they'll leave you in a spiritual lurch. Sometimes people will walk away when the battle gets hot and you find yourself all alone and you can get depressed thinking, man, and you can have a pity party. You can say, oh, woe is me. Nobody cares. I'm the only one that cares. Like Elijah under the juniper tree. He said, man, I'm the only one left. Lord, just kill me and take me home. And the Lord said, Elijah, you're not the only one that's left. I've got 7,000 more just like you. And they're not bowing the knee to Baal. Now get up. Do something. And he did. Well, we find ourselves fighting spiritual battles alone a lot of times. And if you make your decision on whether you're going to stand firm or not, based on what they do, 
You're, you're worshiping man instead of God. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, the scripture says. We can rest in his power. And Eleazar said, he didn't bother time turning around looking at the guys running away. I don't see anywhere there. It indicates he stood longing to go with them. They ran, but he didn't. He said, I'm staying. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. He was unaffected by his comrades' desertion. What do you do when you're trying to serve God? Well, one of my friends quit church, so I guess I'll quit too. Huh? Well, I used to teach a Sunday school class, but I noticed several of the other people that used to quit, so I guess it's okay if I quit. Huh? Who are we serving anyway? Eleazar was unaffected when his comrades turned back. His willingness, she sang about willing to go, willing to stay, willing to serve. Eleazar's willingness was ignited more than ever before. When they left, he was the one left standing. He said, I can't run, man. They've gone away. I've got to stay. How do you feel about it? When other people quit serving God, what do you do? Do you go with them? Sometimes it's a spouse. Sometimes it's a parent. Sometimes it's a good friend that turns back on the Lord. Run if you want to. Run if you will. But I came here to stay. There's been times when it's been lonely in this ministry and ministry of years gone by before I even came to Cersei 26 years ago. And by the grace of God, I've said, you know, that's not a direction I can take. I can't go that way. I'm going to lean into the battle. If I fail, God, it's your fault. Whoa, you'd actually say that, preacher? Yeah. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And if I lean into the battle and he lets me fail, then that's his will. That's his fault, not mine. My job is to be faithful and depend on him. I came here to stay. His weariness. The Bible says there, it says in verse number 10, He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was what? Weary. Some people serve God as long as they don't get weary. But they get weary, they're ready to quit. Not Eleazar. It says his hand was weary. But let's read on and see what it says. Until his hand was weary, now read this, and his hand clave unto the sword. He had his grip on that sword so tight no, he didn't have any help over here. He didn't have any help over here, but he had the Lord, and he gripped that sword. He said, I'm not going to drop this. Die, I might, but drop the sword, I won't. And he get, gripped it. You ever grip anything so tight before that your just knuckles kind of locked in place and you couldn't move? Now, I don't know if he'd slain so many of those guys that it was the blood that clotted up around his fingers and locked it in place, or just the knuckles, the muscles in his fingers, because he had gripped it so tightly for so long that he couldn't turn loose of it. He decided, I'm hanging on, brother. I ain't giving up. I'm going to move on. I'm leaning in to the battle. 
the weariness actually braced him against falling and failing because he gripped it so tight. You know what we need to grip? We need to get a grip on this Bible so tight. Are you listening? We need to get a grip on this Bible so tight that we say, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. I'm not turning back. I'm leaning into the Bible. I'm going forward. And if God lets me fail, then that's his business, not mine. But I'm going to do my job and move forward. Brenda Stewart, I went to a funeral the day before yesterday at Rosebud. <clears throat> Larry Stewart, a longtime friend. We've been friends for probably 40 years. He was a faithful man of God. He passed away, and they had his funeral down in Mobile, Alabama, and then they had a graveside up here at Rosebud two days ago. His wife, Brenda, was there, widow, and his kids. She got up for the first time in her life this morning facing going to church for the rest of her life without Larry. There's widows sitting right here, maybe widowers, who face the same thing. But you didn't give up. Thank God. There's people who are single who have been leaning into the battle and thinking, boy, one of these days I'm going to find that companion, that romance, that one that's going to be the completer in my life. And maybe you fell one foot short of the gold line a number of times. But you can stand back up. A just man, the Bible says, a just man follows seven times, yet he riseth up again. You can rise up again and you can lean into that battle and this time maybe you'll fall across the goal line and win the victory because who can fail who has God on their side? When you try to read the Bible and pray and and the distractions attack like an enemy from each side, you say, man, I've got so many things to do. I don't have time to read the Bible and pray i got so many things I'm worried about. I don't have time to read the Bible and pray. You don't have time not to read the Bible and pray. You try to live in victory over sinful practices. And boy, the world ain't getting any better. It's not going to get easier. The battle's going to be there. There's temptations. You, you've tried to fight the battle against liquor, drugs, sexual attractions and addictions, immodest apparel, gambling, you name it. There's a thousand enemies out there that you're trying to overcome, and yet there's people around you who are going the other way. Society's leaving you behind. (laughs) If you're a Bible-believing Christian who thinks you ought to live for God and avoid worldliness and look like, smell like, and talk like, and walk like a Christian... And all the time you're standing there and you're feeling all alone because they went back and they went back and you seem to be alone. You're not alone. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, the scripture says, and he is none other than the sweet Lord Jesus and he can strengthen you. Stand your ground. Being a sold out Christian often involves loneliness. I don't think I know of a preacher who has not said 
being a pastor is one of the loneliest things that a human being can do. Because nobody seems to be in touch with what you're experiencing and what you go through as a pastor. And people leave church and they think, boy, I've had a... I just had a bad experience at church. I'm walking out, and it's nobody's business but my own. <laughs> well, every time a person walks out of the church, you know, it is somebody else's problem too because every time you leave church maybe one time, but when five or ten people over a period of years leave the church, the pastor goes through that every time. He's heartbroken. And most time when people leave a church, they don't even tell you why they left. I asked one fellow... He'd been so faithful and a good man. I love him still yet to this day, and we're friends. I said, why, why, did, why did you quit, brother? Was, was it something about, did, did I offend you with something in my preaching? No, no, preaching's good. Well, was it something about the music? No, man, the music's great. Well, did somebody in the church offend you? No, no, I'm friends with people in the church. I said, if you like everything about it, why are you leaving he said, I don't know, preacher. And I never found out. I think people get antsy, ants in their pants. And it's hard for people to stay steady. But like Eleazar, you can stay in the pea patch. You can stand your ground and not let your spiritual battle win over you. Eleazar could have run he could have run like those other guys did had it not been for faith instead of fear that's my third point faith instead of fear faith instead of fear it says in our text verse he arose and smote the Philistines how did he do it? how did he do it? By faith. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about how all those people in the Old Testament did what they did by faith. How did Noah withstand a whole culture against him and nobody but his own family would accept the Lord? Everybody else was wicked and evil and such wickedness that had never been seen before and God finally decided to destroy the place and nobody but Noah and his own family got on the ark. How did they do it? The Bible says in Hebrews 11, it's by faith. By faith. And the only fear he knew was the fear of God. If you fear God, you don't have to fear anybody else. Did you hear what I said? (laughs) You fear God, you don't have to fear anybody else. You put God on the throne of your heart, and you don't have to fear anything else. Fear instead of faith. He arose and smote them. When I surrendered to the Lord after I got saved, I figured out that I'm supposed to surrender my life to the Lord and do my life according to His will and His plan instead of my own. I'd been a building contractor and in sales. and When I got saved, I heard the preaching about surrendering to the Lord and just surrender to do His will instead of what I want to do. And so I decided to do that. I got on the altar. Altar is not used 
today like they used to be when I first got saved. When the invitation was given, the altars were filled with people praying, seeking God's will back in those days. I guess we don't need it as much now. Maybe. I got on that altar and I said, Lord, whatever you want out of me, I'll do it. Whatever you want, Lord. I'm signing a blank check, Lord. You fill in the amount. What do you want out of me? I'll do it. Well, the first thing he put on my heart was to realize that my kids were being indoctrinated in a failed educational system. And I found out they were being pushed into situations that was not Christ-like. They were going to be outnumbered in the very near future. I wanted to put them in a nearby Christian school. But there was a big problem. I was an elected school board director in a public election. I was, there were five men on the school board of that school. And the Lord was pressing my heart to put my kids in a Christian school. I think, man, I, I don't know how I can do that and be on the public school board. <laughs> it's going to look awkward. Well, when you're facing battles, they often are awkward. So I didn't want my family to turn out to be a disaster, but this was a major problem. But how could I respond? Should I quit the school board, stay on the school board, put the kids in the Christian school, just ignore it and lean away from that battle? And how, if I did put them in a Christian school, how am I going to face the community members who elected me to help sustain that golden calf? How could I stand against that tide alone Well, only thing I knew since I'd surrendered already to the Lord, all I knew to do was cast my cares on the Lord, for he careth for you. I said, Lord, this is your battle. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle it, but I'm going to put the kids in the Christian school. Well, there were demands from the school board and the school officials and from the community for me to resign. And the Lord strengthened my heart and said, you came here to stand. The others can run if they want to and run if they will. But Brooks, I want you to stand. And so I stayed on that school board with my kids in a Christian school in another town until the day I surrendered the rest of my life when I found out the Lord was calling me to preach. Then I surrendered to go off to Bible college and move to Oklahoma. And I didn't resign and from that school board until the day I moved run if you want to run if you will but I came here to stay battles are not easy who said battles were easy anyway who said battles were not frustrating anyway who said battles were just going to be breeze right through battles are tough that's what they are battles they're war let me give you the last point what brought Eleazar's victory, praise instead of pride. Praise instead of pride. 
Notice with me again in verse number 10. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. Now watch this last phrase. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. Who won? Was it Eleazar that won that victory? What does the Bible say? Eleazar clave his hand to the sword, but who won the victory? It says the Lord did. You see, when you lean into the battle, the battle is the Lord's. Isn't that what David said when little David slew Goliath? (laughs) He said the battle is the Lord's. I mean, what were the odds of him winning against a giant? (laughs) But he leaned into the battle and the Lord gave him a victory. Eleazar leaned into the battle and the Lord gave the victory. You see, Eleazar could have said, you know, boy, I did a great thing today, didn't I? No, the Bible says the Lord wrought the victory. And what's the significance of that last phrase that says, the people returned after him only to spoil? Well, when they had battles in those days, they, whoever won the battle would go back and strip the dead of their valuables, their, any jewelry, gold, silver, money, weapons. And the spoils of war belonged to the victor. Eleazar could have said, Hey, wait a minute, boys, wait a minute. Get back where you belong. This is my stuff. I'm the one who stood. I'm the one who won the victory. This is all my spoils. You ain't getting nothing. But that didn't happen either. Why? Because he recognized that it was the Lord's victory and not his own. And so he was willing to let them come in and share in the spoils. You see, we don't ever want to be lifted up with pride enough to think that we have done it ourselves without God. And we don't want to get lifted up with pride enough that we think we're better than they are. Hello? Better than they are. Boy, I didn't turn back like they did. That's why I always say, when, when somebody backslides and comes back to the Lord, don't scold them. Say, come on, boys, we're going to experience the victory and the spoils of war together. Come on, boys, I know know you didn't stay up here with me, but we're in this together. You're still my brethren. He didn't get lifted up with pride, and he gave God the glory. He knew it was the Lord's doing. Can we get some help from Eleazar's example? I did. I hope you do. There was a rancher back, oh, the turn of the last century. I'm not talking about in 2001. I'm talking about 1901. I'm talking about when the mountain men were still out in, out in the Rocky Mountains. There was, a, there was a rancher in Montana by the name of Joseph Durrett. He was a pioneer hunter and a trapper, a man living in the wild, and he knew all the tricks of the game. He was killed near Livingston, Montana. He owned a nice ranch in the southern part of the state and there was a huge grizzly bear that had been giving all the ranchers a problem 
And he was a trapper. And they were all out to get that grizzly bear. He set traps for the grizzly bear. And he caught him. And when he found that bear in the trap, he ran back home to get his old long rifle to come back. Well, when he got back, he found that the bear had broken loose from the trap. And here's the bear now slipping up on him to attack. A wounded grizzly bear. Well, when he didn't come home, his wife was concerned. She took the dogs and went looking over the hillside. She couldn't find him. She finally contacted the Yellowstone Park Rangers. and They came and looked and they found his body about what they estimated to be about two miles from where the grizzly bear killed him. He had fought that grizzly bear. He was all mangled and bloody. He'd been chewed up ferociously by that grizzly bear. Even the gun he had, the grizzly bear had even gnawed the wood off of that steel barrel gun. Now you might doubt the wisdom of that man for tackling a grizzly bear. But you can't deny the man had courage And you can't deny that the man ran from the battle. He crawled two miles after being attacked by the grizzly bear, bleeding all the way. He crawled for two miles in a beeline towards home before he died. Run if you want to. Run if you will. But that man had courage and he leaned into the battle. Two little boys by the name of Temple and Bud Abernathy. Brothers, one of them was six and one of them was ten. They saddled up two horses in Oklahoma and they rode all the way from Oklahoma to New York City to hear Roosevelt speak at a political speech. After they've finished their goal, now they're six and ten years old, they put their horses on a train to ship them back to Oklahoma City and bought a car and drove it home. Now you might wonder, where in the world were the parents of these kids all this time? Well, you might doubt the wisdom of the parents, but you cannot deny the flexibility and the wisdom of kids who knew how to make things work. Shipping horses on a train and buying a car and driving it from New York City to Oklahoma. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came to stay. What am I saying? I'm saying no matter what kind of battle you're facing, there is a way to have victory over it. Is it a battle with sin? Is it a battle within your family? Is it a spiritual battle about just serving God, living for Him? Is it a financial battle? Is it a health battle? Look, I know health battles happen. And they can, you can become obsessed because you think it's over. A little over two weeks ago when my cardiologist said, man, he said, we've got to find out what's causing that pain in your left arm. And he scheduled me for a stress test. And they did the stress test, and it was, itself was painful, and I about passed out and got too weak during the stress test, chemical stress test. At least I didn't dump a bucket of spiders on my head. That would have been real stress. <laughs> um, I did the stress test. and 
And they called me that same day after I got home. Said, we, we found some abnormalities. And we got you scheduled into the hospital for day after tomorrow to do a heart cath. Well, along comes the devil then. Now, see, when you're facing a health issue, this is just you. You're alone in this. Along comes the devil and says, See there, Brooks? <laughs> You've had it, old boy. I mean, it takes weeks or months to get an, uh, an appointment for a cardiologist or heart cath, but they schedule it for day after tomorrow. What does that mean? You're done for, Brooks. This is it. Make, make your will and get ready to meet your maker. It's all over. They're going to say, we can't patch you up anymore, buddy. <laughs> get things right with God. See, the devil will come along and he'll attack you and you'll begin to think it's all over. But when you say, Lord, <laughs> I'm, I'm not in control of this, but I believe you are. I can't do anything about it, so I'm giving it to you. The battle is not mine. It's the Lord's. What battle are you facing? Will you turn it over to the Lord right now and do what He says? Do what He says? (laughs) Will you? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd bless in the invitation time. Lord, if there's Christians who are struggling in a battle, I pray that you'd give them answers. Give them strength, Lord. Give them wisdom and knowledge. And Lord, give them a stick to to stay in the battle, to lean into the battle and not run from it. Lord, I pray if there's some soul struggling with the issue of salvation. Oh, they might be religious, but not sure that they've been saved. Lord, I pray you'd help them understand this morning that their problem is sin because it was an inherited nature. And now they've committed sin because of that nature. And one cannot enter heaven with that sin. And so, Lord, I pray that they'd understand that the whole idea of Jesus dying on the cross was for one main purpose, and that was to forgive sins. He vicariously suffered in our place. Lord, help them to understand that He took our place. He took our beating. He suffered our hell for us on the cross. And that the only way one can have salvation and win this battle for the soul is to place their trust in the finished work of Jesus on that cross. I pray they'd do that this morning.